Okay. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can come and come to where you are, that we can be with other believers, that we can encourage each other, that we can hear what you're saying through each other, that it moves our heart to greater depths with you, that we weren't meant to do this by ourselves. And that you gave us people to be in a family with. That your heart is for a family. Lord, help us to be kind, loving. Put all of the things in our hearts that represent you, that are you. Flush out all the things that aren't. Help me speak what you want me to say today. Amen. Um. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 33. I'm going to start here. At 4, 33, 4. And the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the, by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. I have been excited uh, this this season about the f- fall feasts, the Jewish fall feasts. Um, I have done them in the past, and then other years I felt like he said to uh, focus on them more than, you know, at various amounts of times. Not every season that he has me kind of research them and look into them and um, and. But there, it, but this season he is. So he had me looking back at the fall feasts again, which I think is kind of fun because my, my very first message here was about uh, Yom Teruach or Rosh Hashanah, as it's more frequently known. Uh, so I realized in studying the fall feasts that I haven't spent much time actually trying to understand Shabbat. I just kind of skipped over. I would do the spring feasts, and I would do the fall feasts, and some of the wintry things, and and I would know Shabbat is there, and I just didn't look into it at all, which is kind of glaring. But talking with Tom and Sam, having returned from Jerusalem, I'm trying to say it <laughs> differently <laughs> because of how I read it. Um, Jerusalem. Coming back from Jerusalem and hearing how um, when Shabbat would happen, how significant and kind of interruptive and 
you know, it's, it's a big deal. So where they are at, their community closes down, shuts down for Shabbat. Um, and it's very impactful if you're, if you're like, oh, I didn't, I, oh, oh, I didn't. Um, I have to make sure I get my food because the shops won't be open or the restaurants or there's very few restaurants um, open and things like that. So that drew my attention back to it. And the Lord led me to learn a little about this day, which is set apart. So I'm going to be talking this morning about Shabbat. Shabbat is um, also referred to as the Sabbath in our Bible. That's where the word Sabbath comes from. Shows up first um, in Genesis 2, 1. This is... Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts in them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because it, in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. While we know that this is from Genesis and commemorates the day God rested from creating the world. It's first actually given its name a little bit later in Exodus. But I thought as we were, I always love um, as we are worshiping before the message that I give, how many different things that he has sprinkled throughout and um, either in song or in prayer. And I can always see the, the connections. Uh, but I have that at some point we sang, all creation is for your glory, and they shout your name. And what a beautiful reminder, as we're going to be talking about Shabbat, and that creation story and that resting after it, that we would sing, all creation is for your glory, and they shout your name. And that it came forth, that it was fellowship with our creator. So in Exodus 16, 22 is when it is mentioned um, that they're gathering uh, the manna. So, and so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said, tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake today, and boil what you'll boil, and lay up Lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink, and there were no worms in it. And then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Noah prayed, In you I have everything I need. And he repented and invited us to repent for following our own emotions whether we feel like it or not, he did provide. And so here it is in Exodus, he's providing. That's the first time the word Sabbath is used, and that is in provision. It's the only one of the holy days to be included in the Ten Commandments, also in Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, 
nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It's reiterated again in Deuteronomy when it's brought up again, when the Ten Commands are brought up again. But um, in stuff that I was reading, it it was mentioning how historically... um, a few wealthy people would rest and everybody would label or labor continuously that this idea of having a weekly rest that we are so accustomed to with our weekend that's not been through all of history although it was ordained for God's chosen people as one of his commandments not even this is a really good idea and you might like this and I just want you to have something good but it was a commandment and like we were singing, all of you is more than enough for all of me. And, and Tom prayed for a fear of missing out of the Lord. Not the stuffs, but the Lord. Now, here's a quote from one of the sources that I was reading. I have a book called A Family's Guide to Biblical Holidays. And um, this is from that one. It's a teaching, kind of a homeschool teaching thingy um, from a, a Christian understanding Jewish festivals. So God intends that the Sabbath be regarded as something honorable, something significant, not for its own sake, but for what it represents. And I came across that in other sources as well. Um, in some virtu- or some online Jewish virtual library was one of them. It said, we are commanded to remember Shabbat, but remembering, but remembering means much more than merely not forgetting to observe Shabbat. It also means to remember the significance of Shabbat, both as a commemoration of creation and as a commemoration of our freedom from slavery in Egypt. Um, there was a prayer that came forth that was a death to self. I don't want my own leadership when the world looks at me, I want them to see you. And that is that Shabbat is often that set-apartness. It's really significant. It's actually considered one of the most significant days, even with all of the feasts and festivals. Here's a quote from something else, and I think it's from the Jewish Virtual Library again. The Sabbath, the Sabbath is, well, it doesn't say Shabbat, so maybe not. <laughs> Not a, oh, this is from that book again, the other book, the homeschool one, Family Guide. The Sabbath is not a yoke of bondage. It's a day of joy, rest, eating, and enjoying the scriptures, fellowship, etc. The Sabbath was never intended to be a restraining time of punishment. Um, the Sabbath is a holy time of resting from our weekly work in order to come into a joyous worship of God. It's a time of release from the stress and pressures of making a living. Um, Matthew twenty-seven thirty. No. Eleven twenty-seven through thirty. There we go. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
Oops. Oh, well. The Shabbat is one of the best known and least understood of all Jewish observances. People who do not generally observe the stringencies of the day, this is a quote also, think of it as a day filled with stifling restrictions or as a day of prayer like the Christian Shabbat. But to those who observe Shabbat, I do have to say that the Jewish virtual library, that that a day of prayer like the Christian Shabbat is very generous <laughs> for us because that's a very lovely way to look at what we're doing and not always accurate. So thank you for that. Um, but to those who observe Shabbat, it is a day of great joy eagerly awaited throughout the week, a time when we can set aside all of our weekday concerns and devote ourselves to higher pursuits. Shabbat is the most important ritual observed in Judaism and is the only ritual observed, uh, ritual observance instituted in the Ten Commandments, which we read. It's also the most important special day, even more so than Yom Kippur, which is their day of atonement. That's from the Jewish ritual library again. Shabbat is not specifically a day of prayer, although substantial time is usually spent in synagogue praying. Prayer is not what signifies Shabbat from the rest of the week. Observant Jews pray every day, three times a day. To say that Shabbat is a day of prayer is no more accurate than to say that Shabbat is a day of feasting. We eat every day, but on Shabbat we eat more elaborately and in more leisurely fashion. The same can be said of prayer on Shabbat. I just love that image. So it's when we gather here in a prayer room, And we have weekly prayer sets. And then we gather here today. Today is not really any different than what we do the rest of the time, but it is a more lavish expression. It's it's more feasting and festival than it is um, eating. So if during the week, if that picture is during the week we eat, Three times a day. We're praying throughout our day. We're always called to pray. We're praying throughout our day by ourselves. We're praying with each other. But that gathering together is more lavish. And it has more richness to it as a result. The Torah does not prohibit work. So this is something that I didn't know. It doesn't prohibit, quote, work. Um, in the 20th century English sense of the word. The Torah prohibits something called melakha. I don't think I said that right, but there you go. Um, which is usually translated as work, um, but does not mean precisely the same thing as the English word. Melakha generally refers to the kind of work that is creative or that exercises control or dominion over your environment. So we know, and they know, that as when they're considering God resting, he created all of the, the light and the stars and the plants and the animals, and he created all that. And after he did all that creative work, he rested, and we know that he's not physically tired. He wasn't worn out um, from doing that act of creation. But he said it as, I created, and then I enjoy And so when they're talking about prohibited from work, they're not talking about things that are lifting rocks and strenuous stuff, although that might be included. Um, They're really talking about creative and dominion-centered 
work, which I think is kind of astounding. Um, Tom has talked uh, about in the garden all of the fruit produce reproducing its own kind, uh, the animals producing its own kind, and that we are made of God kind, that we're like little seeds. We don't look, of course, like God, but we are made in his image. Uh, we're created in the garden to be like him, and he rested after creation to enjoy his creation. We want to be like him, so we off- and so often some of our biggest prayer times are spent struggling with trying to do things without him, trying to be him instead of letting him be him. Instead of letting him be God, we're catching ourselves trying to be God rather than let him be God and us be the kids. And we've been given talents like David was talking about last week. He shared about last week, and we stirred these talents, but they belong to him just as we do. The talent to create, to build, to do works of any kind, um, the power and ability, even all, even the desire that it all comes from the Lord. And it's his, it belongs to him. So knowing that, how much more should we rest like he did? Especially when the resting from creating is a time of connecting with him, with our family, um, it gives place for the right order for work for the rest of the week. It gives place. We're reminded by this, taking time and setting it aside and spending time with him and spending time with our family, that this is the important part. And we're also saying, we trust you to provide. We trust you to take care of it, to take care of us. I'm not God. He is. I want to connect with him in a relationship being back in the garden. And he set it up with a set-apart day to keep bringing me back to that place of trusting him for provision and reminding me that I am not in charge every week, he sets that up. When I was thinking about this, when I was studying about it, I went to thinking about the curse of work that showed up after Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit in the garden. So in Genesis 3, 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The first thing that Adam and Eve Eve did after eating the forbidden fruit was to sew fig leaves together and make themselves a covering. They saw a need and they tried to fix it themselves. They used their creative talent from God to make for themselves to solve their own problem. And as they heard the sound of the Lord in the garden walking in the cool of the day, they hid themselves from him. They separated themselves from him which are the two things that the Sabbath is actually talking about. Us doing it and us reconnecting or, you know, put the two together, either the negatives or the positive. So us letting him do and reconnecting or us 
trying to do for ourselves and disconnecting from him. So the Sabbath is meant to let him do and reconnect. In Genesis 3.17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, which I'm thinking here is kind of like watching all these weddings recently, listening to that one flesh, where one basically listening to yourself or someone else, but the one you're with, listening to that one flesh instead of God. Because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorn and thistle it shall be bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. The curse was that toil and that work and the separation. But God is so generous and loving in all the details. And in 21, it says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So they tried really hard. They're going to fix it themselves. They're going to do the work. They're going to make it happen. They're going to hide from him. And he says, okay, you're choosing this and it's going to be hard. Now let me fix that little problem for you. You know that nakedness? I got it. I got it. You didn't even ask, and I've got it. I'm going to cover you. The Sabbath is a one-day-a-week return to that connection and acknowledgement of his provision, as well as recognizing our need for him and rest. It's a measure of his kindness. The Lord is very serious about all of his commandments, and this is one of them. Second Chronicles 36, 15. I'm going to take a drink of water, and you can turn there. Second Chronicles 36, 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on the young men or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand, and all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasury, treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then he burned the house of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. In looking that up, I was like, how long was that? And you find different information if it's not looked at biblically, but um, among those who accepted tradition, 
this is some of the learning that you come across on the internet, Jeremiah 29.10, that the exile lasted 70 years. Some choose the dates 608 to, 650, or to 538. Others 586 to about 516, and that's the year when the rebuilt temple was dedicated in Jerusalem. So there's your 70 years in Jeremiah. So let's look at that Jeremiah 29.10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good works toward you, my good work toward you, and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. In Jewish literature, poetry, and music, Shabbat is described as a bride or a queen. Synagogue services on Friday night include a Kabbalist Shabbat, which is the receiving the Shabbat where special songs are sung and Shabbat is invited metaphorically as a bride or queen. So turn with me to Jeremiah. Got a few things that Jeremiah wants to share. <laughs> 734. And I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. For the land shall be desolate. Jeremiah 16.9 For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will cause to cease from this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And Jeremiah 25.10 Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolate and astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Matthew 25, 6 through 13. This is the bridesmaids. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest we should not have enough for us and you, but go rather to sell, to those who sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins also came, came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Shabbat prayers include a song with the words, Come, my friend, let us welcome Sabbath the bride. This was from 
another book that I got called Understanding Jewish Holidays and Customs, Historical and Contemporary. This is a quote. The Kabbalists had read in the Talmud that sages in the third century would dress in their Shabbat clothes on Friday evening and say, come, let us go and meet the Sabbath queen. The Kabbalists revived the custom, and late Friday afternoons, they marched in a procession outside the town to greet the Sabbath queen bride. They sang psalms and ended with, come, bride, come, bride. One of the Kabbalist poems or composed a poem called Lecha Dodi, Come, My Friends, to Meet the Bride. This poem by Salman Al-Kabetz is one of the ones mentioned above, which is still chanted at our Friday evening services. So, Revelation 21. That's the part that fell out. Here it is. Nine. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. In Revelation 19, six through nine, if, you're, if you turn to 21, you're almost there. And I heard, as it were, the great voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linens, clean and bright, for the, fi- for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. In John three twenty seven thirty six, oh, I'm using both spots. <laughs> I'll just pick one. <laughs> John answered and said, "A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You bear, yourselves bear me witness." And I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands in here. And hears him, rejoices greatly because of bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is on the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony is certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent spoke, speaks the word of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loved the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Life, And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abides in him. So, as part of Shabbat, the shofar is blown to signify the start of Shabbat. There are six blasts, historically. First of all, first, all the farmers were to stop working in their fields and start for home. So that was the first blast. The second, all the shops were closed. The third, the Shabbat candles were lit and blessed in the home across the country. And the last three announced that Shabbat had actually started. Now, I couldn't help it. So if it's metaphorical, if it's a prophetic thing, all the things that come up in the Feast of Festivals have the potential to be a prophetic thing, then I couldn't resist looking at the trumpets in Revelation. So if you go to Revelation 8-7, 
You hold it loosely. I think it's exciting, but it might not fit the way you, you would like it to fit. But it does a little bit. So Revelation 8, 7, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with bread, or blood, sorry, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Stop working and start for home. Revelation 8, 8, then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Close shops. Revelation 8, 10 through 11. Then a third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because it was made bitter. Light the candles. Bless the homes. And then Revelation 8, 12, 13, 9, 1 to 3. And 9, 13 through 19. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth, to him who had given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given the power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Skipping ahead. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who has the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, yellow, sulfur yellow, and the heads of horses were like the heads of lions. Out of the mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them... They do harm. Sabbath actually started. If you line those up, that's what I got. It's kind of exciting. (laughs) Shabbat preceding and following certain festivals, the Shabbat preceding and following certain festivals and fasts have special character. Um, The only one I want to talk about is Shabbat Shuvah. It's the Sabbath between Rosh Hashanah, which is also known biblically as Yom Teruah, or the Feast of Trumpets, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Shabbat Shuvah means Sabbath of Return. It receives its name from the first word of a prophetic portion, which is read on that day. This 10-day period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is also called the 10 Days of Awe, the High Holy Days, the Solemn Days, the Fearful Days, and the Ten Days of Repentance. And here's a quote from the Understanding Jewish Holidays and Customs book. Since we are in the midst of the Ten Days of Penitence, at that time, Shabbat Shuvah takes on a specially holy air. 
In the afternoon, the rabbi delivers a sermon encouraging the congregation to repent and atone and to determine to live noble lives in the days to come. This is an excellent time with that understanding to remember and remind us of Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not work according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is not in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. He came through in the worship time. You know, this is one of those places you've given us your Holy Spirit. Reconnected it to you by your Holy Spirit, Lord. When I become enthusiastic about learning about customs and culture of my Jewish brothers and sisters and learning about the significance and the history of the celebrations and the feasts and the festivals mentioned in the Bible, it's easy for me to lose sight of the truth that Jesus, that Jesus, it's, that it's all about him and that he redeemed us from this, from all of the intricacies Um, As we study Shabbat, let's see the prophetic imagery, um, the richness, and respectfully, let's let it move us into a conversation with the Lord, but not forget that um, anytime you do research, there are many years of traditions and the traditions of man and language that sort of steers it a direction that isn't what the Lord is saying. So, it reveals men's hearts wherever they happen to be, and they're not always in the best place. So as you're doing your research, just keep it lightly. Let it be a conversation with the Lord, something to talk to him about. But um, the temptation is always there to go wholehearted into it and 
kind of like accept all of it. And a lot of that stuff has been corrected by the Lord himself. So keep that in mind. Galatians 4, 3. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature you are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements of which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. I looked up adoption. I've been into this. So I woke up one morning with the song, um, Abba, I Belong to You, in my heart. It's when we sing at morning prayers. But it was, I woke up thinking about that and, and singing that song, and then I ended up finding in my uh, journal... Um, a prayer that had come forth where wanting, desiring greater um, revelation of what that actually means uh, to be a son and heir or daughter and heir. Um, I looked up adoption, the word used in the Bible. Um, It's that relationship which God was pleased to establish between himself and the Israelites in preference to all other nations. It's the nature and condition of the true disciples in Christ who, by receiving the Spirit of God into their souls, become sons of God. And it is the blessed state looked for in the future life after the visible return of Christ from heaven. Wow. So I'm going to be spending some time there. <laughs> but, um, the Sabbath ends on Saturday evening at sundown with the Havdalah, which is a separation. It's called the separation ceremony, which marks the transition from the holy day to the rest of the week. A ceremonial multi-wicked candle, a spice box resembling a tower, and a cup of wine is used for this ceremony. This is a quote from... Not sure. We drink from a cup of wine, which symbolizes the joy we experienced on Shabbat. We pass a spice box full of cinnamon or other sweet-smelling spices, which symbolizes the lingering scent of the sweetness of Shabbat. In other places, I also read that it that it references the um, incense used in the temple. Uh, we light a multi-wicked candle which symbolizes how our busy lives, that how our busy separate lives come together on Shabbat. The light, the wine, and the spices all come together to help us carry Shabbat with us through the week until the next Shabbat. We extinguish the candle into the wine to conclude the ceremony as a final moment of goodbye to Shabbat. With the singing of Shavuot Tov and Eliyahu Hanavi, 
we wish each other a good week to come and a long and long for a day when Shabbat won't need to end at all. The leader recites a blessing over the wine, spices, and light, and and then um, there's a separate blessing for the, or there's a, a blessing for the separation. And this is the last one I wanted to mention before we, oh, wait, I, there's something else I wanted to read. Okay, I'll get to that. I'll come back to that. There's a separate separation blessing. But I wanted to mention, because I started to mention how I woke up with the song, Abba, I Belong to You. So I was thinking about a little separation, little separation, and grieving. Why would I settle for anything less than the fullness? How can I give anything less than the fullness of myself? Um, or desire anything less of the fullness of God. I mean, I'll say I want all of you, and I'll say I give all of you, but my actions sort of belie that. They don't agree with that, and sometimes my heart doesn't agree with that. It's kind of like, how does a married couple even function if one part is giving all and the other part is giving some? Like I say, I say giving my whole heart, but then... If I keep anything back for myself, right? We know we're here, so it feels a little different, but we all know friends who are like, oh, Sunday, that's my best day. You know, I do. I can't meet on Sunday because, you know, we all hear it. We've known this temptation, but are we here because we've kind of gotten into the habit? Like, if we were to take out the habit, would our hearts still desire to meet fully with God one day a week to set apart one day a week to meet with God and other people? Are we like Adam and Eve covering ourselves with leaves rather than letting him be our covering rather than leaning into that relationship with him? I mean, we struggle with it as we pray, and you can hear it as we pray, how much we struggle with just letting God be God and me be the kid. (laughs) And here he set up a whole day as a structure to kind of help us, to remind us to actually have to rely on him for the provision. And it's so weird in our culture because we don't have to gather for tomorrow in the same way. And I don't know how this looks, to walk it out in our culture. I mean, but I don't want that little bit of separation because that little bit of separation, just that little bit, it can be like a whole gulf between me and God because he won't go any further than I let him. He won't go any further than I allow. So if I'm just holding back that little bit, have I really given myself fully? What am I missing out on? It's not just the fullness, right? He won't take more than I'm willing to give, and I say I'm willing to follow Christ and gain a cross. That means I'm choosing it. And that's tricky. So this is something I want to pray for. Lord, I 
I, there are countless ways I'm holding back a little bit of me. Maybe it's a little bit of my emotions. You say to love without fear. Love those around me. Give my cloak um, to bless those who curse me. If I'm holding back a little bit of that, then I'm missing out on something in you. I am not fully yours because I'm not letting you move in my life. I haven't, I'm not bright and shining. Uh, I don't, I don't represent you the way I want to, Lord, and I need help even for that step, Lord. I come before you and I say, I don't know how to keep the Sabbath. I don't know what you're saying to do. I don't want it to be things that I do. I really just want to give my heart fully to you and do whatever you say. But even that, Lord, is my attempt is so weak. And it really takes you, my Abba, my Father, and me to be the kid to do this, Lord. So I'm just asking you, show us. Show us where we're holding back something. Let us give it to you. Amen. We sang out, we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. We want to give all that's inside of our hearts to you. We sing that today. We don't have to do it perfectly. We just need to cry out in our need. That was also something I prayed for. Now, the separation blessing. Praise to you, Adonai, our God, sovereign of all, who distinguishes between the holy and ordinary, between light and dark, between Israel and and the nations, between the seventh day and the six days of work. Praise to you, Adonai, who distinguishes the holy and ordinary. Sip the wine of grape juice, then extinguish the candle in the remaining wine or grape juice. <laughs> and that's how that last blessing is. So, Lord, I just thank you. You are all in all. We thank you for this Sunday where we could come to be with you. We're asking that we do be set apart and that we set apart time. We set apart the things that are that we wrestle with all week long, trying to give you in a way of just sacrifice. We just give it completely to you and trust you. Or we're looking for more of that fellowship, more of that relationship with each other and with you. We thank you for your commandment of to honor the Sabbath. 